Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the OSINT Curious Webcast podcast. I am Micah Hoffman, and I am joined with my lovely OSINT Curious members here. We've got Nico. Say hi, everybody. Hey, everybody. Cool. And Matthias? Hey, this is Matthias, also known as MW OSINT. Welcome, welcome. And Technozette's with us. Hi, everyone. I'm Technozette. Cool. And we have actually a huge number of attendees. I think that they're here probably to listen to our guest. Nico, would you go ahead and introduce our guest for us? Yes. Uh, well, today's um, uh, guest I've met in person a few times. Uh, it's Aliam Leroy, or Leroy. Please pronounce it right for me later on. Um, you're with the BBC African Eye, which, well, uh, we all know you work there with Benjamin Strick also, and you do awesome news for people who uh, well who their voice needs to be heard uh, all over the world I guess um, could you please tell us um, who are you and what got you started in this field of open source intelligence gathering sure it's a, it's a very first of all thank you Nico for the for the introduction that was very well pronounced uh, because definitely not an easy first name uh, Ayo Miro is a tough one even for French people. So hi everyone, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm very honored, honored to, to join this, uh, this amazing podcast and, and this group of people. Uh, first, a bit about me. So yeah, my name is Ayo Miro, I'm from France and I'm an open source investigator for BBC Africa Eye, uh, which is the Africa focused investigative unit of the BBC. Uh, it was launched as, at, uh, so when was it launched? Like sort of in 2017. Uh, and the first documentary that came out was in 2018. So within that, it's it's a documentary unit doing investigation, but within that, we've got sort of specialist special forces units of just OSINT investigators uh, being Benjamin Strick, who I believe already joined uh, for that podcast. I think he was invited once or will soon be, uh, I guess. And uh, the other one is Bertram Hill. So the three of us just specialize in bringing the open source OSINT tools and techniques to Africa investigation. Um, and as to how I started in regards to, um, to open, to Bellingcats, those other guys who really um, sort of open the open source OSINT world to me. And it started when it was in 2014, uh, I was at university, McGill University in Montreal. And I don't know, one day, like a friend mentioned, you know, have you, have you heard about this, um, this open source collective named Begging Cat? And I thought I would start looking on their website. Um, so that was after, you know, after Braun Moses, they had already started crowdfunding to set up Begging Cat. And they just started doing it. And the first investigation, the first case, which made them so famous was obviously MH17. Uh, and so I, I started reading some of their reports and I thought like, oh man, it's unbelievable. Those guys just from the computer are being able to forensically follow this book missile system uh, all across Ukraine and then back into Russia. And I thought, okay, that's, that's exactly what I want to do with my life. At the time, I was, you know, I didn't know whether I wanted to be a journalist, whether I wanted to start with a sort of intelligence and serve my country as an intelligence officer, or, and then I found that basically OSINT sort of does everything. I can do, I can do intelligence, I can do journalism, and, you know, the techniques, it's just what you can find is amazing. So that really... Yeah, the MH17 investigation that Begincap produced for me, that was an eye-opener to, to open source investigation and the power and what it can do. So you just said at that time, moment in time, you didn't know whether you wanted to be a journalist or maybe be an intelligence analyst. Does that mean that you're, you were trained as an uh, intelligence analyst or did you follow any schooling on that subject matter? 
course, after, after my undergrad, I did, uh, so yeah, I wasn't sure, you know, whether I wanted to do journalism, so I thought I would do a, a, a graduate program uh, in, um, in, uh, at King's College uh, in London, and it was in conflict security, but some of my friends were in intelligence. It's actually quite funny because in that program were Christian Tribert and Nick Waters, so I met them all there. And, you know, we started talking about Bellingcat and we all know Christian Tribert for all the work he's done and Nick Waters as well for all the work they've done at, at Bellingcat. And so it was at the Kings was in a way like a, a sort of a, a, like where a lot of journalists and, you know, military officers and intelligence, former intelligence officers or people wanted to be in, in the intelligence. So in the military sort of gather in the university. And so I thought that was, was quite amazing. And at the time, uh, I was I was studying at King's. King's. It was in 2015, so there there were the the, the infamous uh, terrorist attacks in France, um, and also the start. So I don't know if you if you watch it all before, but you should uh, highly recommend the the doc the TV um, series French TV series called The Bureau about the French intelligence service and their work. It's uh, it's amazing, amazing TV series. So all of that for a while, I thought, okay, maybe you know I want to get into intelligence, and and part of our program. Did, did talk about you know security and military, um, but then I you know I thought I'll never be a good intelligence officer. I'm not organized enough, and and so I would follow um, sort of more the, the the path of the um, of the NGO and then journalism. So I started working at Global Witness, and there I was you know implementing uh, implementing open source investigation there at Global Witness. Um, and before I'd done a bit of work with Bellingcat, um, that's how that's how I started. Yeah, awesome. So um, when you, um, you've seen both worlds, you've seen the intelligence community, or at least met a lot of people of that world, and you've met a lot of journalists. Um, from an open source intelligence perspective, what are the... Oh, sorry, I lost the question. Sorry, oh, sorry, I, I, will I, I will repeat it again. So you, um, you. you were in, in, you have a get, had a good look at both worlds. So the intelligence community and the um, journalist uh, community, and they both conduct open source intelligence. What, in your opinion, is the main difference between those two worlds who basically do the same thing? That's a very good question. In a way, there are so many similarities because the, it's sort of, there is the same process, the same idea. I think sometimes journalism might, might not be as structured in terms of, of, of their tool or like how they organize their, their work and how they organize investigation in general. I consider journalists as a bit more messy than intelligence officers. And I myself am a bit more messy, uh, but they share a lot of similarities in the term of, of you know, uh, the tools they use, the, the aim, you know, you've got the, the sort of the OSINT framework is kind of similar in journalism and in intelligence. I think where it differs is in regards to the goal and the end goal of, of you know, intelligence gathering the pieces of elements in order to, you know, to provide information and, and enable the politicians and also the, you know, the military organization, et cetera, to make good decisions to protect the, the, the nation and the citizens against external threats. Uh, whereas journalism would be much more in like gathering, and that's what we do at BBC Africa, gathering intelligence evidence of wrongdoings um, and you know of harm being done whether it's about corruption where is about conflict and then put it that in the open in the public interest in order to, to change policies and politics for good um, not saying that you know journalism is just for good and intelligence is, is, is bad people it's just the the sort of um, the sort of end goal is, is different in a way 
you know, one is to defend nation and citizens um, against external threats or internal threats. Another one is to expose wrongdoing in the public. Um, yeah. And that's often where maybe intelligence uh, might crash with uh, with the journalists. Uh, journalists always wanted to, you know, bring every every piece of information public, and that can also can be quite risky in some in some you know some type of journalism or more activism like WikiLeaks, let's say, where you know it's like there's no thought about the risk to people on the ground, uh, and that can be highly dangerous. So obviously, journalists, we've got at the BBC, we've got a set of of, of rules and that we need to follow to prevent that to happen. Yeah. So in your investigations, um, do you solely rely on open source information or do you also have some, some sources that kind of act as a, as a human source with something that we're, we're, I think, seeing more and more when it comes to Bellingcat, that it's not just only online investigations, but a bit more to it? So we do, yeah, we mix, we mix the both. So Benjamin Strick, Bertram Hill and myself, we try to really focus on the, on the open source first. Uh, sort of, it's it's most of our investigation for for that core unit of that small unit, sorry, within Africa is led by open source investigation and is complemented by underground sources or people we talk to. But there is also um, the rest of the units at BBC Africa is more traditional documentary units. So they focus on sources, running sources on the ground, you know, doing undercover um, camera filming and secret filming. Uh, and sting operation, and then the open source complements, and we're here as well to complement themselves. So it's it's a good balance in between the two. And what I love about this this team is really we've got uh, a sort of a range of of skills and aptitude that when you combine them together makes so for for great investigation. Because often we find that open source can lead us so long, but then we need that that person on the ground, you know, with with that with that access, with that document that will bring it to further and will open us the, the, the gates to, to, to the findings and, and we are after. But also that can happen the other way around where you know, sources on, on the ground, uh, you know, testimonies can be confusing, can, can elements are missing and that's where the open source can bring some clarity uh, and some, and some you know, sort of banging findings as Ben likes to say about, uh, about open source investigation. So we do a bit of both, uh, but yeah, myself I would specialize more, more into into the open source. So one of the things that I've noticed is, I mean, I've, I've watched some of the, the output of your, of the BBC Africa Eye, and I, I mean, it's so impressive and so polished. It, it, it's beautiful to watch. It's not just, not just engaging from the OSINT perspective, but it, the graphics are great. And I know that a lot of that is BBC. One of the things that I always wondered was, how do you get the topics to research with all of the, the wrongdoing that's going to, that needs to be exposed, especially when you're talking about in just a whole continent, how do you pick and choose which, which, uh, con which things to investigate? So for, for us, that's a very good question. It's, um, for us, we find actually that uh, it's, it's, it's quite interesting working and doing open source investigation, you know, focusing on Africa, because it's true that traditionally, most of the open source investigator would focus on, on the Middle East, especially uh, Europe, Eastern Europe, and we don't have as many open source investigators looking into, um, you know, what's happening in Africa there, and, and more coming or Latin America. So it's a, it's a very, I, I love, I love there's so much, you know, in a way it feels like the field is open and, and you know, you're the first one to get into it. So that's very interesting, but we find that in a lot of countries, it's so hard to find, um, pieces of elements, like I don't know if we take Burundi, for example, the, 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 the sort of online penetration, internet penetration, phone device, 
uh, computer penetration is so low that we get so little information that that makes it very tough. So that's one example. One element is also, you know, availability of open source inform information in terms of the African continent uh, that determines some places we can look into and, and some we can't. So that's one element. Uh, the second one is uh, the type of wrongdoing. So at, in a way, our, our editors are quite strict at Africa and they don't want us just to make some little findings. We need to nail the people. So if it feels like, I don't know, let's say someone, you know, like um, let's take the, the case Anatoly of for example, uh, that was into, into the murder of, of two young women and two young children by, by Caribbean soldiers. Uh, our editors, it was quite interesting to see like in a way, um, you know, we found first, we started like, working with a, with a group of open source investigators, independent open source investigators. We first found, you know, where it happened. And in terms of open source, like as an open source investigator, you've got that, you want to get it out, like that's it, you've got the investigation, it's done. But my editors were like, no, 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 no way, guys, you're not near the end of that investigation. You need to find where it happened and you need to find the perpetrators. So often that's another element They really want us to, 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 to combine all the elements um, so we nail uh, the perpetrators and the, and the people involved in wrongdoing, not just make some findings, which is a bit annoying at times as well, because there's so many great findings that we're not able to publish. Um, so we've got two elements, so availability of, of open source, uh, um, you know, and information out there. Um, the level of wrongdoing, we are investigating and whether we're able to nail the people. And one big one for us as well is because we are a documentary unit, it needs to be visual. And often we find that so many stories are not visuals, and so for us it doesn't cut it, which again is also super frustrating at times because uh, it's just an example something good. Of can you give us an example of one of the stories that might be interesting, but not necessarily visual? I mean, obviously the anatomy of a killing, uh, there was a lot of, of photos and, and videos of that. Uh, what's an example of something that would not necessarily meet that threshold, but still would be OSINT interesting? So without getting to the detail, because I can't, that sort of stories that haven't made it, I wouldn't be able to go into the detail. But there was one case I can mention where it was quite an interesting stories about the involvement of some mercenaries in some country providing training to uh, a special force within an African country that has been involved into, 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 into sort of that, that special, that military unit has been involved into the killings of, of uh, innocent civilians. But we didn't have any, like we had, in a way, we uh, sort of when we started looking into the story, we had a lot of paperwork, you know, about who the people were, um, you know, what type of training they would provide to this, to this, uh, what type of training they would provide to this special military unit. But we couldn't find any picture of those guys. We couldn't find any, you know, we couldn't geolocate where the training site was. So we we're missing a lot of those visual elements uh, that that sort of prevented us from making a film because otherwise the, the story was juicy. Uh, another one where we struggle quite a lot is Mozambique as well with the with the insurgency um, and the insurgency allegedly connected to the Islamist state. Uh, there are quite a lot of visuals, but there it's hard to know like you know you know what's the story, what's really going on on the ground. We find it very difficult to 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 sort of to to build a strong narrative. So you use a lot of different OSINT techniques in, in your investigations. Um, I've, I've seen you guys look into social media and, and geo and chronolocation and things like that. So is there something that is like your personal favorite to, to actually use or conduct research on? 
So I'm more into, I would say myself, I'm more into uh, uh, sort of social media and geolocation and chronolocation. I think it's quite interesting also like working with Benjamin Streak and Bertram Hill, the two other open source investigators. Our skills are very complementary. So Ben is more, is really techy, you know, is, is really good at sort of automating OSINT. Uh, is, is really brilliant at that. Uh, really heavy on satellite imagery analysis, military weapons. Um, that's, that's where he's strong. Uh, Bertram, that uh, we, we call him Bertie, but Bertram is, is is a fantastic open source investigator. Like it's insane. He's a machine. You give him a task, and he'll go down into that the rabbit hole, and will produce a report with so many details. That's like it's it's very good. And I think myself, I'm more. I sit like in a bit of in between Bertie, and Ben, uh, and I focus more on like the social media. Um, aspect of, of open source investigation, a bit of geolocation. I did also some some military work on on, on you know military analysis, whether it's about weapons. Um, but that's where I am. Like more, I like touching basically. I, I, I like touching all bits of open source um, investigation techniques and tools. And I'm not super specialized into any of them. One I would really though, to like to to improve is is OSINT autom like automating OSINT. That's someone where you know it's it's it would save us so much time. And, and I'm, I'm really a loser when it comes to like, you know, Python and scripting. I'm, I'm really, like, I can copy and paste. That's pretty much what I can do and kind of start to understand a bit, but I really want to get better, you know, when it comes to scraping a lot of, like a lot of scraping, a lot of data and then being able to analyze it. That's, that's where myself personally, I'm, I'm weak. So when you, when you just discussed that, because, um, well, open source intelligence in general is a time-consuming process. And from my experience, when it comes to journalism, it always has to go uh, way faster than I was used to doing um, within law enforcement, for instance. You'd have months, if not years of time, to investigate something or someone. Um, within BBC and the African Eye team, how, how does a typical work week or month look like? It, how how do you work? Do you have time? Do you have to be in an office? Because open source intelligence, your information is there twenty four seven, right? Yeah. So what's what's good is our, our editors understand that about open source investigation and give us a lot of flexibility into you know when we we need to be in the office, when when we work. Um, you know we can obviously sometimes you, it's exactly that's what happened with open source investigation. You make a findings also. And you're so into it that, okay, it's 2 a.m. In the, in the morning, but you, you're going to keep going until it gets 4, 5 a.m. And you're going to keep working because you want to get to the bottom of it. So in terms of time, you know, we need to go to the office, but the editors understand that there will be peak of, of uh, like sort of moments where the investigation peaks and that can happen in the middle of the night. And so if we don't show up the next day at the office, that's because the night was kind of quite of intense in terms of open source before. So they're pretty flexible when it comes to, to time. And in terms of length of investigation, that is, it's true that we have some, you know, we kind of need to deliver. And also with Africa, we need to deliver 20 investigations per year. That is a lot of like making documentaries from 30 to 60 minutes. That is a lot of investigation to produce per year. Um, so we do, you know, there, there is, in terms of the deliveries, there is a pressure, but our editors are quite good at, at, at enabling us to, giving us room to sort of have, try to have investigation that we can do. So we try to have multiple investigation at once. So like one or two that can be done, we know can be done fast and we know we can make the findings quite fast. And then, like, sort of in the background of those we've got what we call like those long running investigation where we can spend six months seven months eight months maybe up to a year on it 
uh, and sort of keep monitoring. That's why it's good. They give us the, the freedom to keep monitoring. Uh, but it is quite tough. And there are a lot of stories that we had to drop because, you know, we will get into huge rabbit holes and yeah. they would just, the story wouldn't make it for Africa. So then when that happens, we try to either give it to other parts of the BBC or sometime, you know, like if we can publish something on Big and Cats, uh, we try with, with the editor's approval, obviously, but we try to do if possible. Ben, ben has been, has, has been publishing, uh, like the, the boat analysis is done on, on West Papua. Um, yeah. That was, you know, on his free time doing that. And obviously BBC Africa couldn't publish that, but you know, the rest of the BBC could another unit in the BBC. So, um, um, because uh, BBC is doing open source intelligence, we have some other major news outlets starting to do open source intelligence. Um, what limitations uh, do you see, foresee uh, in for news outlets uh, bringing in people like you and others uh, like Bellingcat to uh, become more mainstream when it comes to journalism? I think it will. So it's 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 interesting. We we see and I see that also. We see that within the BBC. But the first one that's becoming more mainstream is verification units. So uh, across media organization, they're really starting and going big into you know misinformation and fighting misinformation, disinformation, setting up verification unit. The type of open source investigation that Begging Cat does is still quite fresh and quite new. So in the world right now, we have uh, the New York Times visual investigation led by Malachi Brown, uh, where Christian Tribut uh, is, is working. We're the first to pick it up and to actually start implementing open source investigation done in, in similar, like that Bellingcat does, and implement that into journalism. I think sort of BBC Africa, it might have been second or, or third, uh, but that is still quite new. And it's, it's interesting because I think they, some journalists still don't quite understand, you know, the potential of open source investigation. They see, uh, you know, anatomy of a king, or they see MH17, or they see pieces that, um, you know, that um, New York Times visual investigation have done, like one bomb, one building about a chemical uh, attack in, in, in Syria. And they get really excited and they're like, okay, this is amazing. I want to do the same. But then you realize that just, don't know how open source investigation works. They don't know the time you need to get. They don't know the expertise. And also I think they, there's really that community in, in open source investigation that is so well you know, connected and, and bond. And where I think you need, like, in order to be able to start an open source investigation in the type of begging card, you need to recruit uh, people that are part of that community, that understand the language of that community, that understand the type of tools and, and, and techniques you use. And at this stage, I think it's still quite limited, the amount of people who are able to, to you know, to, to, who have all of this and combine all of this. So it is, I, I don't see open source investigation, the type of begging card does going quite mainstream yet, it will slowly, but for now they're still focusing on verification and quick turnaround and because journalism, as you say before, Nico, is pretty much focusing still on the quick turnaround. You know, we need to go fast because uh, investigation costs money and they're long. So that will take time, but hopefully uh, in the future. Uh, I hope that will happen, more units like yeah. that get set up. So um, I think I'll have, for me, myself, I'll have one last question, which I really wanted to ask, and I basically ask everyone. Um, when you started out, um, well, we all have hurdles to take when we learn this, uh, when we learn this field. What tip would you give to someone starting out uh, doing open source intelligence? I think 
like, and, and I was the same, like when people start in open source investigation, I was exactly the same. Like people are really focused on the tools, like the brain goes into the tools. I need to understand the tools. I need to use, you know, it's tools. It's all about tools. If I, if I don't understand, if I don't use tools, I'm never going to be good at open source investigation. And that's so wrong because you, you shouldn't get yourself controlled by the tools. It's, it's really, there's patience. If you're patient and dedicated, you know, that's, that's what you need. And, you know, and, and be willing to spend, fucking huge amount of time on the computer because <laughs> that's what it ends up being and that's also patient but if you've got that you know you can be an amazing open source investigator because you can learn any tool like every, like there's no tool that's impossible for you to master in open source investigation they're all easy they're all accessible they're of different degrees obviously but they're all accessible to anyone so it's really don't get yourself stressed about the tools and not understanding a tool like just you know be patient and start with with small findings as well, and you know, like easy, like yeah, often I find like same like, uh, and coming back to tools, I find that I end up using the same techniques over and over again, simple tricks um, because to catch I don't know people in, involved in wrongdoing because they're always stupid, uh, and most of like so many people online, you know, always publish so information. And sometimes it's the easy tool or the easy techniques that will get you further away than the very complicated tools and techniques. So yeah, don't stress over the tools. Um, they, you know, you don't need, you don't need them. You basically, you, you sort of, your brain is the main tool and then you can use those yes. to complement that. Yes, yeah, you're Nico's my friend. Been, yes. Because it is a mindset. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mindset, yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. But, it, but you know what, when you're starting out, it's easier to focus on a discrete tool and learning whatever tool it is, than to try to jump into the mindset and understand how things are connected. Those connections, I think of, of I could do this, now I have this bit of data, now I can do that. I think that comes with experience and, you know, people can't just get that initially. And so, so I, I get why people want to learn the tools and want to learn Linux and stuff or Python. Um, but also you're absolutely right. It's that inquisitive mind, that detective exactly. work that you can do. Mitsu and if I, okay. I would just want to add another quick one as well is also, and that's really fast, sorry, but it's just, uh, you know, it's okay to make mistakes as well in open source investigation. It's like often, you know, like, and that's what I love about the open source communities. People are so kind online. Like, even if you make a little mistake, you know, they're not going to, you know, discard you and rip you apart. They're going to try to help you. And this, and it's really that, you know, like, it's okay. We all make mistakes in open source investigation. It happens all the time. Well, not in OPPC Africa investigation. But yeah. We fact check those, they're good. But, but we've made mistakes before and we made sure that we fact check them in order to, you know. Not, not. Well, and making mistakes before you do your final report, that's exactly. one thing. But uh, especially in your in the work that you're doing in the MH17 stuff that Bellingcat's doing, if they identify the wrong people, that can oh, have yeah. a devastating effect. No? Yeah, no, you can't make mistake at that level. Exactly yeah. in the pre in the pre in the pre investigation, but once you get to the final report, yeah. it needs to be bullet like like super strong. Exactly. Matthias, do you have another one? Another yeah, just question? one more question. I was so fascinated listening to what you had to say. I kind of forgot to ask this question before. Um, but, you know, obviously speaking French and English, are you, you're pretty well set up for doing investigations in Africa. But what, what, what do you do when it comes to like certain um, African French dialects or, or certain languages down there that are not that common? Um, is there anything you use to go to to, to to translate or do you really rely on, on someone that actually speaks the language? That we end up, we end up always um, relying on people who speak the language and, and on the ground sources because we found out that using like, 
obviously like those are like languages that still like you know google translate or other tools are not so good at, at translating and they're getting better it's getting better obviously um, but we still always go to uh, go to um go to yeah sources or, or people who speak the language but that is for sure you've highlighted one one of the points where we're quite weak is we still tend to do our investigation mainly and you know the information we gather is mainly tends to be mainly english or you know french or like the main language of of the country but in terms of dialects or local languages or there we are a bit we are a bit weak and we need to get better that's for sure that's a very good point actually well thank you so much for spending time with us i want to be respectful of your time here too uh thank you so much for being with us Ayoman, and um and sharing your expertise uh, we really appreciate it and we always ask our our guests one last question what is something that you're looking to learn? And I think you've already said Python, but I want to give you an opportunity to tell us, you know, what in OSINT are you looking to get better at? Definitely. Thanks. Thanks for that question. Definitely like automation, like automating OSINT is one where I need to, 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 to improve. And that, that is, yeah, going through, like, I want to learn how to yeah, use Python, how to script and how to be able to analyze mass, like sort of mass of data much, much faster than I'm doing that at this stage uh, and I also hope that one day uh, the, the sort of um, Facebook graph will come back to life or something <laughs> so really, because we're missing it so much I uh, think man, we all it's are such a struggle yeah. so start, yeah, start a crowdfund for that yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, uh, I hope that yeah, he could use uh, the money mark <laughs> I hope that one day that will come back or that there will be another tool we can learn about um, yeah who knows but again you know that's why it's wonderful with open source investigation you never stop learning the it's it's there's always a learning curve so that's that's amazing as well yeah well for those of you that don't know uh iom's uh uh web page our twitter page is right here uh and uh don't look them up by name necessarily uh the twitter handle form is y a o l r i is that some kind of uh a short name or something uh that you use or is that just some yeah it's uh, it's pretty easy it's a mix of like the it's like end letter for my last name name and then first letter for my for my first name and then same back and forth so it's like y a o uh, l r i so simple but i've never used it apart yes. on twitter why well, didn't you figure it out already <laughs> yeah yeah of course of course i wrote a python script to do it god uh well thank you so much for that and and i think at this point you know you're welcome to stick around i know that you said that you have to to drop off drop off well, whenever stick for you a bit. um thank okay, you very awesome. much for for being on and Thank now we're so going to go ahead and, and move to the news. Um, now, before we move to the news, I did want to just mention one thing that we have uh, several new Patreon, Patreon patrons, and we really appreciate them. Uh, John B., Access OSINT, and a couple others that... Uh, that haven't given me permission to, to call out their names yet, but thank you to everybody that helps support our project um, because without you, this would be a lot harder. Yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and take a look at this huge, amazing free resource that has been all over the Twitters. Uh, Nico, you want to talk about the verification handbook? Um, well, I want to. Um, it's, the, <laughs> it's the second uh, version. Well, it's the second version. There always there all there has been a verification handbook for years out there, PDF uh, translated into several languages, and this is basically uh, the new version of that, which a lot of community um, uh, 
people uh, help to feed. So, for instance, Bellingcat, Hank Finesse, um, um, some some others, Craig Silverman, and some others gave input. And not only input, they also gave case studies to go by. Um, I think you're now showing the older version. No, this is the book too. Oh, the so book this two. is the newer one. Yeah. But you so, can download each of these. Yeah, you can PDFs, download them. Which is awesome. And what I really particularly liked about the new chapter, uh, you'll have new case studies. And I think most people uh, understand more about case study than just throwing, uh, well, like Aliam just said, you can throw them a bunch of tools and tell them this is a tool to look up reverse lookup images. But if you don't know the purpose of a reverse image search tool or how you can use it in a certain state of mind, uh, there's no real use for it. And well, almost every section within this book has a case study. And that's the part where, where I'm particularly a fan of because that's where you really learn in depth how to use uh, and how to think uh, like an ocean professional. So uh, yeah, if you're in this field, you probably already checked this book out. And if you're starting in this field, I, I would say um, this is some of the top three tools where you initially go to to learn from for free. Well, and it speaks to what our young was saying is that, you know, you got to get in the mindset, and but you can't just jump to conclusions all the time, verifying, validating sources and making sure that the information that you got is not tampered. Because we all know about this person does not exist.com and this cat does not exist.com. There are computers making up. See, I threw that in there for you, Technizette. I knew you'd like it. Um, <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, I mean, the computers are making up stuff that, that, you know, is published to the internet. And we're like, wow, you know, if we take it at face value, it could um, really lead our investigations uh, uh, in different directions. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and uh, I met, mentioned Benjamin Strick. And actually recently, uh, to this, this article or this tweet, do you want to talk about it, Ayom? Uh, about what he, was, what he released? Or do you want us to do that? I can mention, yeah, a bit like January, uh, but I'll get then you guys into into the detail. But yeah, he's done like a, a sort of, he had he had done the same actually. The book that you just uh, the verification book that you showed before. There is one case, the case I was mentioning about West Papua, uh, both network analysis on Twitter. He, he there is one of this case he he worked on uh, with another investigator and has published, and he did the same here. But he's looking into uh, a sort of both network on Twitter targeting a Chinese businessman. If that is the one he that's the one he published, yes. and sort of what he done is he had. Um, scraped and and over a period, certain period of time scraped all the tweets uh, mentioning a specific hashtag targeting two hashtag i think targeting this this businessman and then exported that that data and put into gephi in order to look you know who is at the heart and who are the boats at the heart of of that network and it, it, what i love about those is it's visually beautiful uh, and and you know the the open source is also amazing yeah and what what i really like about um this and also uh, the previous work he had done with uh, scraping trader and using Gephi that he can use the initial Twitter data to uh, pivot into other platforms and sources where uh, the same campaign is ongoing. Uh, so you initially find it on Twitter because Twitter is fairly easy to scrape and fairly open. 
to get information from, and then you get pivot points, let's say URLs or links to Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, to see that that same campaign is ongoing on other platforms, and then you can expose that uh, that kind of stuff. So yeah, really awesome work here. Yeah, ben does great work. And uh, one of the things that uh, you should know is his Twitter handle is Ben D.O. Brown, Ben Do Brown. Um, great researcher. And I just love the way he writes too. It's, it's just really easy to read. Yeah. Uh, let's move to another uh, OSINT uh, prominent person, uh, Matt Edmondson. He's a SANS instructor and just an amazing dude. He spoke at the OSINT summit uh, several months ago. And uh, one of the things that he did is he is also one of those technical people that can make complicated topics really understandable. So what he did was he wrote a blog post here about how to use Amazon's web services, the AWS platform, which is much more than just uh, computers that, that are being stood up uh, for you to install your tools on. Amazon has an amazing well, uh, bunch of services that can be good for us to use and they're complicated. Matt breaks it down in this article, Nation State Quality OSINT on a Taco Bell Budget. Um, and he talks about some of the different tools that you could use like Recognition, which has been around for a while, which is their image and video analysis service, similar to what Matthias showed us that, that uh, Microsoft has in Azure. And there's other systems. And, and Matt goes through and shows you step by step by step what you need to do. And really, for there's his phase... Um, and, and really, he does a, a great job of breaking it down, show you why you might want these different platforms. So uh, really helpful, especially for us semi-technical people. All right. So uh, how about facial recognition with Python and Elasticsearch? Matthias, was this uh, something that you tossed into our... notes? Yeah, I looked at this. So Lorenzo Romani is an, an OSINT analyst in Rome. And uh, he's also more on the technical side and every once in a while shares something in regards to Python and things like that. And he, he shared something that I haven't tried out yet, but, but it sounds very promising is basically um, setting up like your, your own image database, your own image server, and then using a specific Python script to do a image recognition analysis. So you, you know, kind of input a certain image. Um, and then say, hey, you know, go fetch me images that look alike, and it will basically give you kind of like a, a percentage of, uh, you know, similarity. And so basically with, with that score there, anything above 70%, you know, it's good chances that it's a match. And I, I remember several cases in the past where, where a tool like this would have been really handy. And if I'm not mistaken, Ayum, there was also something where we were looking into some kind of elections or military in Congo or something like that, where someone also had the idea to, to scrape a whole bunch of pictures from Facebook and, and try to find people. Um, so one of the Slack channels, I remember when we had that project, I'm like, that'd be so cool if we could have something like this on the local machine. So definitely something I'm going to try out soon. Yeah. I mean, I remember when Google had Picasa and you could do that, you know, they were doing that kind of local facial recognition. I love that. And then, that product went away. Speaking of which, what would happen if you would upload all these pictures to your iPhone? Because your iPhone does the same thing, right? Kind of, kind of misusing the, the iPhone, you know, image database for that? Yeah. Why not? Well, why don't you give it a try and let us know how it goes? No, but I mean, using mobile devices like that for, I mean, using the features, that's absolutely in scope. And while we're on it, uh, let's talk about something that 
could help people with what is the next step in their OSINT work. Uh, a lot of people that are just starting out uh, don't understand where to start, what to do, or what to do with the data that they get. And Matthias, I think you also found this resource, is that right? Where, hey, you know, you find an email address, you, you can run searches for the email, run searches. Um, yep. So this is, you know, similar to, to what you did with your, your Orcs Yoga, um, basically just to give people an idea um, of, of how to start investigations with, with certain data points in, in a very, very simple way. So if someone is just completely new to OSINT, um, this would also be something that, that I would point out and say, you know, have a look at this, have a look at, at your, your uh, yoga. And, you know, just from, from there, move on and pivot on the, the different data points you have. Oh, thanks for mentioning my tool. Um, yeah, I created yoga for a while, uh, a while ago, and you just essentially click on whatever you have, like you have an image, and it'll say, hey, do this or do that. Um, just helping people get that next step in their process. And that's at yoga.osint.ninja. And the other is at uh, osintessentials.com. Yeah, that's uh, Owen Sweeney. We had him on last year, I think. Uh-huh. So a very, very well curated site as well, the, the OSINT Essentials site. Just to make this more of the Matthias Wilson show, uh, why don't you tell us about this <laughs> awesome web po uh, post that you just released a little while ago? Like yeah, that today. happens when I wake up too early on a Sunday morning and I, I have some free time. Uh -huh. um, no, just in a nutshell, um, there is the World Intellectual Patent Organization, um, which has their, their own database on patents. Um, so if you're conducting company research, you might want to look up this company in the, the worldwide patent database and you can find some more information on them, um, some maybe uh, information on where is their primary market uh, since they would register patents there first. Um, you'll also find individuals that were um, that registered the patent or mentioned as inventors. So you can kind of link uh, individuals to each other. Um, they also have a trademark and design database, a uh, global trademark and design database, which you can look into. And that's the, the most important or relevant part for me is that they have their own reverse image search when it comes to trademarks. So anything that is registered worldwide, um, you can upload an image and then, uh, you know, kind of give it a, a certain fuzzy logic um, with certain settings and it'll just run off and, and fetch that, that trademark belonging to that company logo or something like that. So, you know, if you're into corporate research, don't forget to look into that patent database, that trademark database, but also at the same time, since it's a secondary source, always go look into the primary sources in, that, uh, in the respective com uh, country itself as well. Excellent work, my friend. So, so one question for me: Would this work when you are doing? Um, you have the the Interpol and Europol when they uh, put out those pieces of information about uh, child abuse, um, and you often see company logos on, let's say, T-shirts or mugs or whatever. Do you think that could work with this? Um, if you go back to the web page and go back down to the, um, the, the, the section where you can see the screenshot of the reverse image searching, um, you'll see that they have several different settings to kind of add a, a, a fuzzy logic to that image itself. Um, it could work, but you know, there's never a, a guarantee. And what this also does, yeah, there. So you have pick a strategy and there it says image determined by AI to contain similar concepts. Then it goes by shape or color as well. So the AI just, you know, dissects the image 
by the shape or color and does things like that. And then also the, the field on the right with verbal, nonverbal combined is just additional information. Is there text in there that can be OCR'd or not? And with this logo, actually, it, it put out, I think, 200 results in total, if, I, if I'm not wrong. I'd have to check that up or that was one to 30 on that page. So it put out a lot of different results. Um, so if you play around with it, it will show you more than the original image you're looking for. So it, it does have a certain fuzzy logic that might work exactly for that use case. Yeah. Sounds interesting. Need to try that. Thank you. Well, and Dutch, you've been doing some, uh, some of your own in OSIN investigations and you've been getting into the world of birding. Is that correct? Yeah, well, okay. once you're inside for weeks, you start to look <laughs> out of your window and you'll see birds. No, uh, uh, honestly, this started because uh, I'm currently in the development and writing of the new SANS course, the, the advanced OSINT course. I'm writing it with you and, and John Turbis, uh, Micah. And um, I was looking into new ways to find out, uh, to look at temporal information um, uh, of regions. So I initially thought, my my brain was like, well, birds are only in a certain area for a certain amount of time, let's say spring or winter or whatever, and they fly to other areas. So what if I see a picture or hear a bird in a movie uh, clip on YouTube uh, from which I know that was posted in, let's say, March, but I'm not exactly certain where it was, well, here you have a database, a website where you can look up uh, the characteristics of a bird, but also uh, the sound it makes and see where that bird is seen at uh, a certain time a year. So not saying that it would work in every case, but it might work and it might help. So, um, and I just like birds, man. Who doesn't like birds? That's terrific, man. I, and, you know, it, it absolutely can be one of those things that helps if you have a clear enough video or a clear enough picture of a, a bird or you can hear it. Yeah, that's, that's pretty neat stuff. Yeah. Well, one of the other things that we wanted to mention was uh, the image operation meta tool. Uh, we, we've been, uh, some of you might have noticed that Osin Curious is tweeting out a lot more things, uh, especially some of these cool questions like, you know, what's a single tool that helps you day in and day out in Osin? Now, some of us know that your brain is the best tool, right? Am I right? Yeah. Yes. But some people are actually... <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Some people are actually putting in tools and tools. And, and uh, one that was uh, mentioned was the image ops tool, uh, which helps with uh in reverse image searching has has anybody used it nico or no. no i looked into it and it it basically um gives you the the a chance to upload images or to take a url and then query the baidu yandex google bing reverse image search and has a couple other of neat uh, other neat tools in it as well as like um extracting exif data and things like that so it's, it's, you know, one place to go to get all your image related things done. But in most cases, it does actually direct you to the original site that, that can performs these operations, but pretty neat and a nice overview for everything related to images. Cool. I was going to pull a uh, picture and throw it in there, but um, that's uh, imgops.com. Give it a try. Yeah. Uh, we don't know who owns that site, do we? No. So you might not want to upload your sensitive pictures in, with that, uh, in that location. Uh, Shadow Dragon. Um, 
Matthias, Nico? No, I, I think I added this one. All right. I, I um this popped up in my timeline. I think it was on Twitter, and well, I tuned in because I like to listen to podcasts, and I don't commute anymore. So this is my way of commuting on my own in my own home, listening to podcasts. And um, this one is with uh, Blake Butler. Um, he gets interviewed by Daniel Clements of Shadow Dragon, and um, they have a conversation. Um, about open source intelligence and the InfoSec community. But what I found particularly interesting about uh, this podcast, you get an insight in the way these people think uh, investigative-wise, and that's really valuable. And uh, Blake Butler uh, does uh, the intelligence part for um, PayPal, for instance. So he'll give you insight uh, how they find people uh, who do financial crimes within their company. And I found it really interesting as an open source intelligence um, researcher um, to learn from their perspectives and their way of looking at the cyber realm in general. So this was very Osinti. They also go into uh, crafting personas and keeping personas on life and the ethics on um, do you engage with individuals online to gather information? So just in general, I think it's worthwhile to check it out. Yeah, and we've, we've talked about several of those more sensitive things that you have to think about before you start your assessment um, on here as well. Yeah. And Nico, while I'm talking with you, uh, tell me about Ali Seeks. Yes. Um, this one was shared by, um, I think, Allow on, um, which is a Dutch term on Twitter. Um, he pointed me to this one. Um, well, if you're doing IP infringement um, uh, searches, this website called AliSeeks, which is a spin-off of AliExpress, the, the known big, large uh, Chinese, like Amazon-ish yeah. platform. Um, and there's a lot of um, false fabricated stuff and there's fake Nike, there's fake Adidas, there's fake of everything. Um, and this is just a really good tool which might help you find uh, that seller or that uh, people uh, who are doing fakes. It would, be so, it would be so <laughs> awesome if there were yeah. fake me's online. Like, there's a fake Nico online. Well, I mean, some places have fake Nikos, right? I guess. Point me towards them. I will buy them all. Well, Mike, if you would wear glasses, you both would look at the alike. So there you have your fake, fake Nico already. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm missing my other buddy, my uh, the third bald member of Osiris. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One well, good thing about AliExpress, by the way, and we have a Dutch platform called Marktplatz, which is similar to eBay. I'm not quite sure if eBay has the same feature. But Markplatz and AliExpress both have a feature where you can take a picture of something you're looking for and they will reference it towards the database to see if they have an item which matches what you're looking for, yeah. which is great because if you find an object and you have no clue what it is or no clue where it's being sold, take a picture with the AliExpress uh, app on your phone or I'm not quite sure if you can upload it to the website. But it works on your phone quite well. You take the picture yeah. and it, it gives you similar products for sale. So you might be able to find the seller of a product you're looking at, or you can identify whatever you're seeing in a picture or a video. Cool. It's quite cool. 
And just going back a little bit, uh, 89 Kenny, who's one of our attendees this week, mentioned that there's a website for um, birds in a picture. If you want to identify them, merlin.allaboutbirds.org slash photo dash ID. We'll include that, Nico, if you could scrape that, and we'll toss that into the show notes as well. Thank you very much, 89 Kenny, for, for tossing that out there. Yeah. And you might have mentioned that our guest left us. Uh, he did mention that he had to leave uh, earlier. And uh, we thank uh, him for being on here and just sharing his thoughts and experience with us. That was, that was really, really neat. Yeah. So we're at the end of our webcast. You've wasted another hour with us here talking about OSINT. Um, we uh, do have the shameless self-promotion section. This is usually where most of our attendees drop off, but don't go because we have workshop con that's coming up in uh, next month. And I believe we're going to be offering a 20% coupon to get 20% off the price of tickets. And I think tickets right now are not in the early bird stage. I think it's like $550 for our one day training where we talk soup to nuts about all things OSINT. And the cool thing is this is going to be a hundred percent virtual. It will be on Eastern United States time. So uh, I think nine to five, eight to five, somewhere in there. And it'll be Technizette, myself, um, and Natias. I think you're going to be doing this with us. That's right. Yep. Uh, Kirby, Ginsburg, uh, Ray, we've got a bunch of us uh, contributing. So if you're looking to hang out with us for a whole day coming up in June, go ahead and consider signing up and we'll get you the coupon code when we have that code. This is your once in a lifetime chance to, to attend a, a really good OSINT training in your underwear. I mean, <laughs> wow. just get really yes. comfortable. I, I think that is a selling yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. Yeah, I know I'll be wearing some. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh nice. Yeah. nice job, Matthias. I'm so glad <laughs> cameras can be turned off. Yes. <laughs> yes. Wow. All right. Um, other shameless self-promotion. Um, Dutch and Dutch OSINT guy, Nico Dakins. Dakins, right? Dakins, yeah. Okay. Um, if you stop calling her Technozetti, then I'll start calling you Dakins. <laughs> so, uh, deal, deal. <laughs> Nico Dakins. Um <laughs> he and I are doing our, our SEC 487 class several times in the next coming months. Uh, you can get that on SANS. And one of the coolest things is yes, our GOSI certification is back on track. And it is going to be launching in June. The beta is coming up this month. And we're going to be launching this international uh, open source intelligence um, certification for uh, my SEC 47 class. So I'm yeah. really excited. Yeah, really excited. How about you, Technozette? Do you have anything that you want to plug for this coming week or next two weeks? Actually, no. I've been homebound, and I want to give a shout-out to all the parents who are homeschooling their kids and stuff. So keep going, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that takes, that takes a lot of energy, doesn't it? Yep. Cool. Well, good luck to you. Matthias, any last words? Nothing special from my side. It was just a pleasure to have Ayom on this evening and really enjoyed this episode with, with all the cool stuff that we discussed. Yeah. Absolutely. Great show. Nico? 
Uh, I have two things, 18th of May and the 9th of July, I'll be giving my workshop advanced searching and monitoring uh, in, with Google for professionals. One is in Dutch, one and the 9th of July will be in English and more information can be found in the show notes or at awareonline.com. Very, very good. Thank you. And I'd like to go ahead and thank our attendees for being here. I'd like to thank Aion Leroy for being here as well. Um, this has been another webcast for us in Curious. Thank you very much for attending, everybody. Thanks for listening at home and stay. Oh, so oh, curious. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.